it's rethinking its whole life. It's like, like walk the like, line. Why? It's like why? <laughs> okay, we are rolling. In three, two. Hello there. It's Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting, and welcome to a very special segment of Nerd Alert. I am joined today by a beloved friend of this channel. Uh, he's the the uh, senior specialist on all things Spider-Man. He is the man J. Jonah Jameson has on speed dial when he demands pictures of Spider-Man because this guy's got his number. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. He is the host with the most on our flagship program, uh, Friends of Benefits. He's the man who started the top Dirty Toomey Network. Please welcome Chris. Hey, buddy. Not, Thanks for having what's me. What's up, bud? Thank you for being here. And uh, I, I almost I said would... Captain Flanna, by the way. You could have. That's my Twitter handle. And uh, I, the, the, my favorite part is when people are like, what does that mean? Like, I have to explain it and they don't know who Captain Planet was. And that makes me sad. But that um, just means no. you're too old and I need to not be friends with you. That's, what you, that's, yep, that's a that litmus test is what that is. Turn around and walk away. Um, no, no. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, you are my favorite host in all of podcasting, by the way. So it's a joy Aww. to to uh, work with you once again, be reunited. And let me tell you, it feels so good <laughs> so good nice warm it's warm <laughs> it's gonna be the whole thing to be like this just so you know just just warm <laughs> and just just leave it there just just let it yeah. just let it soak okay <laughs> we're here to actually talk about a a character in the franchise that i know is near and dear to both of us and i i like i was telling you before we started the show there's no one else i wanted to talk this topic with um because sir we have been making Spider-Man movies for 20 plus years. I think we have like, I don't know, 10, 11, 18 Spider-Man movies. But sir, we're still my favorite cinematic Spider-Man. And I want you to know that. I appreciate the, the amount of work that went in uh, with. I just want you to know, I feel as though I can safely say I'm the only actor to have completed his Spider-Man project with a 102 degree temperature and still didn't phone it in in a sweater no less right, right. so you know <laughs> dedication and love that i have for that character is beyond words and beyond measurement for the dozen people who have seen spider-man right. venomous uh you know what we're talking about the rest of you are confused right now but that's okay it's a joke, and joke I for two <laughs> Uh, so we're here to do uh, something that we do here on Nerd Alert every so often, a state of the franchise. Uh, we are basically going to take uh, take the temperature of the Spider-Man franchise, and we're going to break down what we've gotten from this franchise up to date. We're going to talk about what we know is coming from the franchise. And then we're going to wax philosophic about what do we as true believers of uh, the old webhead want to see from the franchise going forward. Or do we just not want to see anything more? Whatever. We'll get to that when we get to that. But uh, we're going to start with where the whole franchise, film-wise, gets started. And, and, and I want to be clear here. We're just talking Spider-Man cinematic movie franchise. We're not talking cartoon shows or, or action figures. Or we're specifically talking about the Spider-Man franchise as it exists in movie theaters. So it starts in 2002 with a landmark film. Um, a film that if you could turn back time, uh, like Cher says, 
and 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 really look at how big of an impact this film had on 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 the entire film industry, on the superhero genre, on just film history in general. Uh, I don't think you can over exaggerate its importance. But I'm of course talking about the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man film from 2002. Do you remember where you were when you saw the cinematic almost masterpiece that is the original Spider-Man movie? I I very much do um, because I uh, 2002 was a fun year for me. It was the year I'm about to show my age. I graduated high school and I was getting ready to go to college. And uh, it was a weird point because you had had other superhero slash at the, at that point they were they were comic book movies mm-hmm. uh, before we before we had given them the the broader superhero movie uh moniker and you had blade and you had x-men and those were very niche movies like they mm-hmm. were they, they were they were big in the comic book fan realm but they didn't really get the mainstream notoriety that that Spider-Man did cuz Spider-Man was like a that flipped everything. Mm-hmm. And that was like it gets a lot of credit for kind of being the the start of the Marvel wave and like like I mean, you know, Iron Man kind of started the whole interconnected universe, but right, right. Spider, the the original Spider Man was the one that kind of put that 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 showed that a a comic book movie could be a mainstream hit, and those were worth investing time and resources in. Yeah, it's an interesting progression. Um... And this is the topic I can talk that meme flag around. What could you give a TED talk on with no preparation? Uh, superhero comic book movies is my topic because um, I can talk all day about that. But you, you are absolutely right. If you look at the timeline, so Batman and Robin came out in 1998. Four years separated Batman and Robin from Spider-Man. Yet you watch those movies and you look at them. So these are like a decade apart. At yeah. least, right? Between, between, we're right back to schlocky, uh, almost bam with pow on the screen, Batman to this Spider Man movie. No, no, four years. That's it. Uh, and you have some, some huge movies, uh, that, that start this, like you brought up, you know, Blade, uh, and, and X Men kind of got the ball rolling with, okay, these don't have to be schlocky and goofy. Um, but yeah, X Men and Blade. While they're based on comic book characters, those films uh, lean into different genres. Blade is more of an action movie with a little bit of a horror tinge to it. X-Men, that original movie, is straight up a science fiction movie. Uh, they, they tone down a lot of the elements of what make a superhero traditionally a superhero. They don't really have secret identities. They, they don't really have super suits. They do, but they're all black leather. And we make a joke about, what do you want? Yellow spandex? Ha ha ha. Like, Spider-Man was the movie that came along and was like, no, we're not going to tone down our comic book roots. We're going to embrace them. We're going to, as we like to say on the show, we're going to steer into the skit. We're going to embrace the corniness and the zaniness and the, the bright colors and the, the wackiness of comic books. And we're just going to have fun with them. Um, 
And it did that all the way to the bank. Uh, let me run some numbers by you real quick here. The movie was made on a budget of $139 million. Nothing to scoff at in 2002. Nothing to scoff at nowadays. Uh, it brought in a record-breaking $825 million worldwide. That's a lot. That's good numbers nowadays. Yeah. That was record-setting in 2002. Uh, I believe uh, it's either this one or the, or the second one. Uh, actually, I think both of them broke record set and then broke their own record for biggest opening weekend ever. This movie was huge. Um, and thankfully, it was huge for all the right reasons. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to, to, to jump in on you, but I was, yeah, go ahead. No, like it, it, it very easily could have slid into the goofy and because you had like the recipe was kind of interesting because you had the director of evil dead mm-hmm. who like is not it has a track record of kind of over the top kind of you know kind of a wild take on things uh his approach did not necessarily lend itself immediately if when you hear him oh yeah he's gonna direct a superhero movie you're like really okay interesting like yeah, to see sam raimi is at his heart a b movie guy yeah and as much as i love evil dead and uh was the quick and the dead and he, he very much is at home in that schlocky b movie kind of setting so he was not the first go-to oh who's gonna direct this 140 million dollar uh epic for sony oh the evil dead guy yeah and and who's going to be Spider-Man? The guy from Seabiscuit? Okay. And, and Seabiscuit even come out. Yeah, I think his biggest claim at that point was Cider House Rules. Yeah, yeah. He was like some yeah. really obscure. And then you had, oh, well, Willem Dafoe is going to be the bad guy. And you're like, okay, that seems kind of out of place. Like, everything he, was kind of out of place. Yeah. Uh, Kristen Dunst, is her biggest uh, commercial success was was uh, Interview with the Vampire when she was like 12. Like, you got a, a, a schlocky B movie director, and I mean that in the best way possible with Sam <laughs> Raimi. Uh, and you got actors who were primarily known for indie dramas back when Hollywood still made indie drama. Well, not indie, but still made dramas. Uh, and, and yeah, your biggest thing was Willem Dafoe. Right. It's like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, but man, did they strike gold with this movie? Uh, yeah, it was. It, it was a everything that it should have been and a little bit more uh it didn't you know it had had great special effects because that's the one thing that when you think of you're like a spider-man project you're like there's a lot of web swinging there's a lot of you know uh flipping around there's a lot of real quick action and stuff and you know you you're you always have that thought of like okay how much are they going to cut away from how much are they going to you know imply but not really show and uh you know spider-man has one of those things that is incredibly hard to visually show which is spider sense Mm -hmm. and like because it's it's even kind of difficult to explain to people that don't know like if they're not a fan you're trying to explain what what the the what we now lovingly refer to as the peter tingle is (sighs) I refuse to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went through I went through much of my college experience with a nonstop Peter Tingle, but that's <laughs> um, 
So you have you have like okay, so it's this thing where he kind of like gets the hair on the back of your neck going, you know, when you have that feeling, but like it means the trouble is coming, and so he's gotta like, you know, he reacts to that. It's very hard to visually depict. And mm-hmm. they so, so you have a lot of uphill challenges with this character that you know are are tough to show on screen and they they crushed it like yes it that movie the the spider-man and spider-man 2 still to this day hold up as well as some of the best superhero movies that come out present day i'm definitely going to circle back to that point in a minute uh but no like the Sam Raimi proved he was the perfect choice for a director because even if you look at his early low budget, uh, like even the first Evil Dead movie, he's a guy who has a very kinetic camera. His camera is never holding still or the frame is never holding still. He's, he's very kinetic filmmaker. Something's always moving and always in interesting ways. And the tricks him and his buddies uh, pioneered out in the woods in Tennessee with, you know, skateboards and uh, uh, poles with uh, KY jelly on them and shit like that to get the camera to move and slide the way they wanted to. Now he's got a budget. So he, he pioneered the, the spider cam is what they called it. Uh, and if you watch any NFL game on TV today, you'll see it. it's that camera on wires that follows the players as they're going down the field. That's a spider cam yep, that was XFL. invented and pioneered for these movies. Yep, XFL used it. Yep, and then NFL stole it from them. Yeah, they sure did. Sure they did. Sure did. Uh, but it's awesome, and, and he proved because uh, his whole pitch to the studio to get the job was like, "Look, he's a huge Spider-Man fan. Sam Raimi is a nerd. He grew up with a mural of Spider-Man painted on his bedroom wall. So that's why his trilogy, uh, to a point, is very much in that '60s Spider-Man feel. You know, it's set in in current, t- uh, you know, modern setting, but it still has that feel and that vibe of like old school Silver Age '60s Spider-Man stuff. Uh, but he's a guy who knew and loved the character and characters of Spider-Man, and was not afraid to be making a Spider-Man movie. He was proud of making a Spider-Man movie, and he fought to keep the the characters true to who they were from the comics and to keep the story true to what it was from the comics and for a superhero origin movie, you know, as much as we give Iron Man uh, the, the credit of being the MCU template, Spider-Man 2002 is the superhero origin template. Yeah, well, like, like, and, and to your point, look at the character designs. Like, like, look at Peter Parker from the 60s comic books and look at how they present Tobey Maguire in those movies. It is identical like how how he is how he is packaged how he handles himself how he carries himself his you know how, how he moves his posture his how like the words that they use for him he is 60s spider-man on the screen all he's missing is that sweater vest yeah yeah like literally that's it just short yep <laughs> uh and, and don't get me wrong, the movie is not perfect. Uh, the, it, the Green Goblin suit, we could talk all day about it. It, 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 it fails Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe is crushing it as Norman slash Green Goblin. The suit is not doing him any favors at all. No. Uh, yeah, he still he, turns in. Oh, God. No. Sorry. No, no, you're like, sorry. Uh, like, people call it, it, like, it literally does look like it was left over from the Power Rangers set. Yep. Like, that's one of the most common statements about it and it's so true 
it, it I think it's a victim of the mentality of we're still a little ashamed to be a comic book movie, so we have to justify why does Green Goblin have a suit? Oh, well, it's a flight suit for the glider and it's armored. And okay, where does the goblin mask come from? <sighs> Stop asking questions. Oh, okay, my bad. Sorry. Um, but I, I let that slide because they, in one movie, perfected the Spidey suit. Yeah, uh, it's pretty incredible um, what they're what they're able to do and how they're able to uh, represent the Spidey suit. It is as far as a one-to-one translation from comics to screen. It is Chef's Kiss, perfect. Uh, like seriously, you know, give him crap for for you know not really changing the Spidey suit from movie to movie. Like you know, Batman gets a new suit every movie, but like, look, they perfected the Spidey suit the first go. When when the PS4 Spider-Man game came out, the only suit people demanded to have included in the game on social media was this one. Yeah, and and rightfully so because it's beautiful. Uh, but we've 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 blown sunshine off this movie's ass for long enough. We can <laughs> we can move on a little bit. Again, uh, it was it was a landmark film. It it showed Hollywood, hey, you these movies can make stupid amounts of money, uh, and it, you don't have to bend over backwards to hide that it's a comic book movie. You can actually just like that can be a selling point. Uh, so we quickly strike while the the iron is hot, and in two thousand four we get Spider Man two. Um, I'm gonna throw some quick numbers before we start gushing more sunshine. Uh, so the first Spider-Man had a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 90 percent, audience score of 67 percent. That's like, low. What, what what fucking audience are you polling? Yeah, right. Um, Spider-Man two, two years later, a uh, little bit higher of a budget, 200 million dollars, but they had to be, you know they had to shell that money for Alfred Molina. Um, oh, brings in 788 million dollars worldwide. With a Rotten Tomato critic score, 93, fan score, 92. Oh, um, better. All right. You ready to talk about one of the top five greatest superhero movies ever made? Oh, yeah. Still to this day. Like, that's mm-hmm. one that was that. It's, it's insane how they were able to one-up what was a near-perfect Spider-Man movie. And they managed to one-up and beat sequelitis and because you know oftentimes with some of these the second one is just not as good like the the, there's it's okay but there's just that magic just isn't there Mm -hmm. and this one totally swings right over it and doesn't even doesn't even care about any kind of slowdown you know with a sequel you always try you always get a little bit of a bigger budget and you try and keep the spirit of the movie, but just kind of expand things a little bit more, make everything a little bit bigger. So like the action sequences are bigger. The laughs are bigger. The special mm-hmm. effects are a little bit bigger. And usually what happens in a sequel is you get lost in trying to make everything bigger so much that you lose the heart of what made it so good to begin with. And this one is like, nah, screw that. Like we know what makes this great. Everybody who like all of the actors, they, they get what makes these characters so great so they're they're still you know nailing it every single time and everything is bigger but it doesn't seem forced and it just makes everything better it it builds beautifully on everything established in the first movie it it 
it does not feel like it's just another movie with the same characters or we're just rehashing what we did last time. It genuinely builds on every plot point, every emotional moment from the first one is built upon in the second one in ways that logically make sense for those characters. Uh, you've got Harry, the best friend, who's now hates Spider-Man because he blames him for his father's death. You've got that, the will they, won't they, uh, um, um, we can't be together kind of relationship with, with Mary Jane is taken up a notch with, well, okay, well she's engaged now she's moving on. Are you really going to let her slip by? Uh, the villain is, is top notch dude, that L train fight between Doc Ock and Spidey. I will put that up against anything from the current MCU. That is a masterpiece. Uh, visually, uh, it's, it's gorgeous to look at the CGI holds up the stunt fights hold up. Uh, the the acting and performance it, it's two characters who even though it's about the midpoint of the movie you still understand their goals what each of them wants why they're fighting each other like it's it's it is a uh, it's a master class as commander scott would say and how to do superhero action scenes um it 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 it, it just kicks everything up a notch. It follows through the storylines that we already established. Uh, we, we get, we're done. The first movie established, okay, how did he become a Spider-Man? How did he get the powers? How did he get the suit? Why does he do it? We set all that up. So in this one, it's just great. We don't have to worry about the how and the why. We're just going to get on to the, how do you live your life as a superhero? You've committed yourself to being a superhero, but you also want a love life and a family life and a personal life and a career. And how do you do all that? And the answer is you don't. Uh, and, and you get that great Spider-Man No More storyline. Um, and then it ends the movie. Everything it does is fantastic, and it still finds a way to end the film and kick things up yet another notch at the end of the film. I'm going to spoil a movie that's almost 20 years old. Um, at the end of this film, Mary Jane knows he's Spider-Man, leaves her wedding to go be with him. And, and you know they have their moment in his shitty apartment and the, 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 the police squawk box comes on and he's got to go beside her and you get to go get him, Tiger Line. And even then it's like, okay, awesome. We're, 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 we're not going to, you know, Superman Lois Lane this shit. We're not going to magic kiss and erase her memory. Like she knows he's Spider-Man and we're going to deal with how do you date Spider-Man? Like this is awesome. Uh, it was it was a beautiful way to end the movie of, of we gave you all this cool stuff that we're, we're uh, building on what came before. And at the end of this movie, we could have just closed it off and called it a day and sat back and like, yeah, we did it. We're awesome. But no, we're going to continue to plant seeds and, and, and change and evolve what a superhero movie can be going forward. Right. Because the idea, like when you think of, you know, a superhero in the traditional sense you know you always think of like the really good parts you know all oh, the superhero comes in saves the day everybody loves them everything is great for the superhero right mm -hmm. but there's this there's this other side where you know the and and, and spider-man especially where it's like he he struggles constantly with having to lie to everybody by keeping everybody at arm's length because he knows that if anybody figures out that he's Spider-Man, the first people that they're going to go after are not him. It's the people that he cares about. Mm -hmm. And so you have that struggle where it's like, you know, you have people even there, even though, you know, he's one of these heroes that is very um, not quite universally loved in his in his, uh, <laughs> in his world, he's got his detractors and he's got people that want nothing more than to see him hauled into jail and, um, you know, face a trial for interfering with with police business and all this stuff. 
Um, but you've got these supporters that he even can't, you know, take comfort in the fact that people like him and support him and all this stuff because he knows that he and the people around him are constantly in danger if anybody ever knew. So whenever somebody finds out, there's always that like that heart attack moment where he's he it's not just that somebody knows and his quote unquote his secret is out, but it's also crap. Now that person they're in danger because now they know something that they're not supposed yeah. to know. Yeah. Knowing my secret puts a target on your back. Right. And and so you know you have that extra layer where he's like crap now I'm also responsible for this person because they know my secret. And so their safety is now an extra burden on him. And there's that extra element where like, you know, you don't often see that in any other hero story that's presented. Mm-hmm. So Especially up to that point. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, one other call out I want to for, for Spider-Man 2 and again I could talk about this movie all day because I love it and I, I, I legitimately I never sat down and ranked my favorite superhero movies or what I think are the best ones but I guarantee you Spider-Man 2 is in my top 5 somewhere if oh. not the number 1 spot because it still holds up it's still amazing uh, spectacular even um, but there's there's one moment in the movie especially that I never get tired of watching it's a scene I watch over and over again just because it's so so subtle in so many ways yet speaks volumes it's when so peter has given up being spider-man things and and, and with the thinking of if i quit being spider-man the rest of my life will get under control and it does not help and even more so the city's gone to shit now because spider-man's not there you know clean everything up and all that and he goes to aunt may's and aunt may's got some neighbor kid helping her clean stuff out of the, the, the garage and Aunt May gives him this beautiful speech where she talks about the nature of a hero and and because she, she starts it with, you know, the, the neighbor kid who's helping her. Uh, he sure misses seeing that Spider-Man guy around. You know, I think it's pretty good for this city and, and goes on to the, the whole there's a hero in all of us that, that gives us strength and, and helps us walk the right path. And we could all use more of that. And there's the words she's saying, which are great. And then you watch the scene again and you just look at these two actors and it's this beautiful scene of Aunt May telling Peter, I know. I know who you are. I I, I know you're Spider-Man and you need to get back to work. Yeah. Uh, and it's great. It's kind of undone in the third movie. <laughs> but, yeah. But uh i love that scene it's a beautiful beautiful speech uh the, the whole aunt may peter in the driveway thing i love that moment but and then that's that's just you know it, it nails all the big things you want a superhero movie to do but it also nails those smaller character moments uh which is a lot harder to do and like you said it does not lose the heart of what makes spider-man spider-man so let's move on to what does lose the heart of what yeah makes uh, it loses a lot of what yeah. <sighs> Spider-Man 3 2007. You could not get more hyped for a movie ever. Oh my god. Uh you couldn't escape this. It was everywhere. It was the third Spider-Man movie. It had a budget of 258 million dollars. We're bringing in Venom. 
Uh, We're bringing in Sandman. We've got Gwen Stacy and Captain Stacy. Oh, my God, this movie's going to be amazing. How was it, bud? Uh, That's a perfect review of this movie. Yeah, that's that's basically... uh, And look, this is going from a guy who for years tried to defend this movie. Yeah, it's a lost cause trying to defend that movie. Uh, I saw, like... The, the best way that I can describe that movie is with a picture of a, a store that buys and sells DVDs. And it says, we buy DVDs except Spider-Man 3. <laughs> like on the marquee outside. <laughs> like, it's, it, like, it gets called out. It gets a lot of hate. And unfortunately, Sam Raimi gets a lot of hate for it. And yeah. I, I, know, I know that's totally misplaced. Um, it has... All of the what should be earmarks of a great movie. It has, um, you know, Thomas Hayden Church. It has Topher Grace. It has everything that, like, you would think that I would love. It's got, uh, unfortunately, it has the one thing that will make every movie bad no matter what happens. And it is the two-word phrase that every single person hates. And that is studio interference. <laughs> and I was going to say Avia Rod, but that works too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there are, there are countless, countless uh, stories, notes, anecdotes, and everything from the production of that movie that anytime you see any behind the scenes footage from that movie, you can see why it's just such a mess. Um, you know, there, there are rumors that there, the, the script wasn't finished by the time they started there was a rumor of pages and pages of studio notes of things that had to be in that, that Sam Raimi did not want, did not enjoy, didn't have a passion for doing, but was entire characters, right. That, you know, just, just forced way too much into a movie. And because that was also before, because you could make the same argument of, well, having too many characters isn't necessarily the death knell of a movie because look at, you know, Captain America, civil war, or, uh, you know, infinity war, or all these movies mm-hmm. where there are like 48 million characters, mm-hmm. but that was kind of before Spider-Man three was before that, yeah, that kind of formula was, was figured out and approached and they didn't have as much built before it to kind of navigate those waters and, you know, pages and pages of late night rewrites based on dailies that were sent back to the studio, like changes on the fly that, you know, I, I, I get called out a lot because I, I, in a way to make things easier for me to understand and for me to speak about, I relate a lot to the world of professional wrestling. Not current day because I don't watch any of that crap, but like back in the day, <laughs> like there are there are stories of you know failed wrestling promotion, world championship wrestling, and how in a three hour show in the middle of hour two, they were rewriting the show while it was live. And you know, so there's no there's no wonder why it failed. It's the same thing with this. Like, if you don't have a solid plan going in with everybody on board and excited about it and part of it, like, like excited about being a part of what you're doing, you get an end result like Spider-Man 3. It's uneven. 
It mm-hmm. falls flat in a lot of places. It tries a lot of things and then doesn't really see them all the way through. It half asses a lot um, because you can just tell that a lot of people involved behind the camera and in front of it were just trying to get through. Yep. And, and hope is- that, okay, if we get through this one, then we can maybe get back to doing what we want to do. And, you know, we just got to, we just got to get through this and appease the studio to get to where we want to be, but they're kind of drudging through it and not enjoying it and not, it doesn't have any of the heart, soul, and passion that the first two had. It, there, there's an old phrase. Um, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. And yeah. true words have never applied <laughs> to a film than Spider-Man 3. Because back with the first film, when this was an unproven thing, and again, we were four years removed from Batman and Robin, and superheroes movies were not instant bankable hits there was a lot riding on that. And had that movie flopped, they would have put everything in. Oh, well, as that Sam Raimi guy, he just didn't, couldn't handle that big of a budget and all that. Well, by the time you get to Spider-Man three, this movie is, is not quite billion dollar, but we're damn close to making a billion dollars a movie uh, in the early two thousands. That is unheard of. This is a, this is as big as a franchise can possibly get. Suddenly every asshole at Sony is the guy who's really responsible for the success of Spider-Man. Really. Yeah. It was them, you know, and yeah. they're all flexing to get creative control or to get executive control over every aspect of the movie. And and rather than in a perfect world where you just, okay, great job, Sam. You knocked the second one out of the park. Here's your budget. Go make another one. Because he was still gung-ho to keep making them. Everyone tried to play filmmaker. You get characters yeah. that he doesn't want. And, and flat out says, I'll call it Venom. The studio and A.V. Arad specifically forced venom onto this movie and even though he said look i don't know venom venom wasn't in the comics when i read the comics i have no i have no take on that character i have no idea for that character it's not a character i know or love or want to do here's the story i want to tell it already has two villains because we have to pay off harry becoming the next goblin uh aka the harry goblin (laughs) uh and 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 i want to bring in sandman because i think it's a visually interesting character that's different from the previous villains because we're already repeating a villain kind of and I have a cool storyline for that. And I want to kind of, it's the third movie. I want to kind of tie it all back in the first movie. And I'm not saying I want to finish, you know, be done making Spider-Man movies, but we should at least by the third movie, tie things back into the first. And if this is the last kind of get kind of a full circle kind of thing. So even then, if Raimi would have been left to his own devices, it may have been a little overbloated because he's also throwing in Gwen Stacy and Captain Stacy and things like that. It, 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 I'm not saying it would have been perfect without Venom, but, um, and not just Venom isn't the only thing that was studio interference. That's just the biggest uh, uh, thing to point to. Um, that being said, as as much as fans were let down by this movie because it it is the plot is is pulling you in eighteen different directions every other scene because it, it's it's just it's ADHD. It just can't focus on any one plot. No no character or plot line really gets the attention it deserves uh, because we have three villains. We have Venom, we have Sandman, and we have Harry being the new Goblin. Uh, except for the middle of the movie when he has amnesia, because we couldn't think of how else to write the villain out for for a third of the movie. Because why not? Um, but yeah, uh, but it also gives us our first superhero team up, where Harry Goblin comes in in the third act to help Spidey, which was you know uh, uh, young college John thoroughly enjoyed that. Of hey, this is the first time. And granted, yeah, Goblin isn't really a hero, but like we're seeing two 
characters team up to take down the bad guy and we haven't seen that since batman and robin that's that's pretty cool not like a team of people who always operate as a team but like two independent characters are teaming up that's kind of cool and we get some big moments like the the huge construction fight with with sandman that was as big as any superhero movie had gone at that point and and i appreciated him for trying that being said um the rotten tomato score for this movie (laughs) 63 percent critic score 51 percent audience score uh and i do believe that sets the that that is that that 51 audience is the lowest score of any spider-man movie I believe. i'm honestly surprised it's that high yeah so uh, i'm like a lot i thought like you know 40 something no 51 yeah. uh, i mean uh, over half but uh and i think i think as we've i think people have gotten a bit more forgiving Mm-hmm. Uh, as the years have gone on, it's still not a good movie. It's not, it's not well put together. Uh, the you know the, the structure pacing is all off. Um, it, Especially it compared to the first two, right? Like it just it sticks out in the trilogy. It kind of doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't lean any into it. it it's it's it doesn't have enough funny stuff to think of it as a really funny movie. It doesn't have enough you know action stuff to be an action it, it doesn't have enough of any one thing like the others did so it just kind of feels aimless uh but i feel like people have gotten a bit more understanding as more mm-hmm. more facts and stories have come out uh, yeah as it, those nda agreements uh yeah <laughs> start to uh, lapse <laughs> it, it doesn't forgive you know the fact that it's still not a good movie but yeah it I think people have kind of softened on it a little bit as far yeah. as they're just not as harsh on uh, because we've had a lot more bad. Yeah. We're, super we're, movies to hate on. Th- this was also when this came out. And I know this is if you're someone who grew up with the MCU, uh, this is going to blow your mind. But there was a time when we were not guaranteed to get another Spider-Man movie. No. We're, we're a franchise is always just one bad movie away from being a dead franchise. Yep, and and there was no guarantee of a Spider-Man four when this came out. Despite, uh, and as much as people like to call Spider-Man three a flop, it was not. Uh, with a budget of two hundred fifty-eight million dollars, it brought in eight hundred and ninety-four point nine million dollars. That is of the original Sam Raimi trilogy. Spider-Man three is the highest-grossing movie of the three. It's weird. To- it was not a flop. It's weird to have that be a fact. Yes. Uh, now, that being said, anytime you get into a franchise, your current movie is kind of riding on the back of the success or failure of the previous movie. Uh, if if one and two were great, three's going to do pretty well no matter what. Uh, if three and four kind of stink, then five maybe not so much. You know, that that's kind of how franchises work. But yeah. uh, I just like to point that out to people. No, even though it was the worst reviewed movie, um, it, it still made the most money. So. Fans were still upset. There was still a little, well, okay, this one didn't go over so well. Do people want to make another one? But yes, the studio was still a gung-ho to keep the Spidey train going because there were 895 million reasons to keep going. Yeah. However. Well, and to your point, just really quickly. Yeah. Do you yeah. want evidence of that, of, of the franchise is is completely dependent on the last movie? Um, there's a reason why. Friday the 13th part six, which is widely regarded as one of the best in the entire franchise did one of the lowest at the box office. And that's because part five was so trash. 
Yeah. Like they like it, it, yeah. that. That's the, that's a that's, perfect. That's how it works. Yeah. Is yeah. Like so many people went to go see part five, absolutely hated it. So when the sixth one came out, they were like, I ain't going to see that that at all. Uh, yeah. Uh, another example, the, the Star Trek uh, film franchise. So Star Trek in 2008 reboots the franchise and makes everything cool and fun and kind of, Hey, you don't have to be a Trek nerd to like these movies does really well. Second one comes out a few years later. Uh, the was, uh, Star Trek into darkness and it's dumb and boring and it's rehashing plot lines from the TV show that were already done much better in movies 30 years ago. And everyone guessed the plot twist coming and it really soured audiences. So then you get Star Trek Beyond, which in this show's humble opinion is the best of that trilogy. Nobody went to go see it because everyone had been burned by the previous one. Like that's right. how franchises kind of work, at least up until the MCU. Anyway, that's how franchises worked. Yeah. Then it's um, just like, whatever people are going to go see it no matter what. Yes. But so Spider-Man three, it made money. Uh, it soured a lot of relationships. It, it made people, if it had been a great pleasure to make and made all kinds of money, we'd have gotten to Spider-Man four in 2009 without question. But, a lot of relationships got strained. A lot of contracts didn't get re-signed. It was a nightmare for everybody involved. Oh, excuse me. And and something else you can't ignore. Uh, 2008, a year later, Iron Man hits theaters. And yep. further changes the game of superhero movies forever going forward. So if you're Sony, you're now in a, in a world where, okay, we've proven superhero movies are successful and we're not the only game in town anymore. Uh, you've got at this point, Fox is, is doing things with the X-Men franchise and the Fantastic Four franchise. Marvel is, has put skin in the game themselves and founded their own production studio and their first film, Iron Man is doing great. Uh, you've got this franchise that even though the last one wasn't great on people still like, and you're still working with Sam Raimi. Uh, there are pitches out there you can find for what would have been Sam Raimi's Spider-Man four, uh, with Vulture and or Black Cat. Um, no full scripts as far as I'm aware, but there were ideas, there were things. And, and Sam Raimi had an experience very similar to, uh, Tim Burton, uh, post Batman returns where he was meeting with the studio and they were once again, arguing over ideas and story points and, and things like that. And Sam Raimi kind of got to the point where he's like, you, you, you don't want me to make another Spider-Man movie. Do you like you, you don't, you've got your own plans. You have an entire backup plan to reboot the entire franchise. You're waiting for this whole thing to play out. Just pay me out for my contract. Let me go and do whatever you want with the franchise, which is in a nutshell, what happened? Yeah, that was basically exactly what happened. Yeah, there's 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 some more intricacies, but essentially that's what happened. Is is Sony wanted to go in a new direction, and they they were either going to stall out Sam Raimi until his contract expired, or he finally just said, "Just fucking pay me and let me go back to my life." And that leads to uh, 2012's Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, so we have a little bit of a break um, to let everybody forget and kind of wash away the events of Spider-Man 3 before completely restarting. Yes, and and this movie, I think, is kind of a classic example of how not to do a reboot, which is not to say yeah. I dislike this movie. But the first half of this movie is rough because it, it's it's we're we're five years away from the last Spider-Man movie, ten years away from the first Spider-Man movie. We're watching the same movie we saw ten years ago. 
because they made the decision to retell the origin of Spider-Man. So we're sitting through yet another spider bite, yet another Uncle Ben moment, yet another with great power comes great responsibility. But for some reason, we don't want to say those words. So we come up with some convoluted way to say it without saying it. Uh, starting a trend that uh, continues to annoy me to this day. Yes. Just just fucking say it. We know what you're going to say. Just, just fucking say it. Yeah. Part it's of okay. the fun say is, you know, uh, there, there's that episode of The Simpsons where, you know, Bart gets famous for saying, you know, say the line, Bart, say the line. And everybody goes crazy. There's there there's an element where, like, reward the people, say the line. Mm-hmm. Just say it. Just say it. That's why, you know, they, they, they teased it so long in uh, the MCU to say Avengers Assemble. So when they finally say it, everybody loses their damn mind because it's just like, say the line, say the mm-hmm. line. And then you get that satisfaction of them saying the line. So it's just like, just say it. Like, we all know it. That's why we're here. Say it. <sighs> and I would argue the MCU would have done a lot better to have Cap have said Avengers Assemble at least once every Avengers movie, except for Infinity War. So when he says it in Endgame, it actually has meaning other than it's fan service. Because look, as time has gone by and I rewatched those movies, Cap yelling Avengers Assemble has no meaning to the characters within that scene at all whatsoever. It's just there for the fans. Right. And it's not really calling back anything from the previous movies. It's just there as fan service. Would it yeah. not have been more impactful if we started the Avengers Assemble line in the first Avengers movie and then carried it into the second movie and then didn't have it in Infinity War because the Avengers are broken up so nobody assembled. And then it's a callback to... Anyway, that's a whole nerd rant. I'm sorry. But <laughs> point being, just say the line. We had Spider-Man. We know it. Great power, great responsibility. It is the cornerstone of this franchise and this character. Why are you shying away from it? Uh, after that first half hour-ish or so, when you get past all the rehashing of the origin, I like this movie. Yeah, like, it, I'll give Andrew Garfield credit. Like, for the longest time, my kind of, um, my take on it was Tobey Maguire is my favorite, Peter Parker, mm-hmm. but Andrew Garfield is my favorite Spider-Man. Uh, like, of these two, I kind of divide it up that way because he makes a fantastic fun spider-man he's quippy like he's, like, like like once he's finally able to be spider-man and we get yes. to the we're like he can be spider-man and it's not weighed down by all of the well we got to get through all the pretext that everybody already knows but we got to get there um once that's kind of broken away and it's able to actually be a Spider-Man movie, it's fun, but it's a chore to get there. Yeah. And it's one of the things I enjoyed is the, the Raimi movies kept teasing uh, the lizard um, and Dr. Connors. He was, he was a, you know, he was a, a name drop in the first movie, a full on cameo in the next movie. I, I can't remember if he's in Spider-Man three or not, uh, but this movie finally gave us the lizard. Uh, and, and again, once we get past the origin and just get to a Spider-Man versus the lizard story, I really enjoy this movie. I love Andrew Garfield's portrayal of the character, even though, yeah, his Peter's a little too cool for the traditional Peter. But again, like you said earlier, like the Raimi Peter Parker was very much that 1960s version of like a nerd, uh, just in modern clothing. And, and I think Andrew Garfield was a little bit more of like, we don't really have nerds that we're glasses taped together in pocket protectors and bow ties anymore and it's a little more modernish 
Um, and and his chemistry with Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy is fantastic. I even love Dennis Leary as Captain Stacy, just being kind of a thorn in his side. Um, you know, we don't get uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson in this movie, but Dennis Leary kind of carries that torch a little bit um, of just, you know, hating on Spider-Man in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Martin Sheen and Sally Field are cool as Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Uh, I don't, once this movie gets out of rehashing something we just did 10 years ago and just gets on to being a, a, a Spider-Man story, I'm really on board with it. Uh, it just takes too long to get to that. Yeah, um, it's just the 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 pitch is great. The wind up just takes forever. Yes, um, it costs, and I'm. This is the, these numbers are coming from Box Office Mojo, which is my most trusted place for box office numbers. Uh, but it seems high. They they have it rated as two hundred and thirty million dollar budget. That sounds really high. Um, but it brought in seven hundred fifty eight million dollars. So not as great as Spider Man three, but we're off to a good start uh, for rebooting the entire franchise. You could do a lot worse. Yeah, uh, I question that budget. That just seems really high. Maybe, um, maybe does that include like marketing stuff? Because usually budget just includes production budget. Because ah, uh, I would we say always like, say, yeah, yeah. Like if you throw in marketing with it, I would, I would believe that that would be right. But yeah, because that would put the actual budget at more like 115 ish, and that sounds right. more right. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I apologize. Normally, I try to, to when I get a weird number like that, I, I have a couple other sources I try to check it against, but I didn't have time for that today. So, I'm a, if you're that nerd out there who's checking my box office numbers, I'm sorry if some of them are wrong, Travis. I'm sorry. Um, maybe, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> to that one guy. Uh, that brings us to uh, again the, the for a reboot of a franchise, it did pretty well. Uh, I think everyone agreed it stumbled a bit, but uh, it had Rotten Tomato score, uh, critic score of seventy one percent, audience score seventy seven. Not as great as the heyday of Spider Man two, but a lot better than Spider Man three. We're on the right track again. Okay, we're we're we're, we're on the right path, and then we get to Amazing Spider Man two, two thousand fourteen. How do you feel about this movie? Uh, at the, it was probably about halfway through this movie that I'm like, I'm kind of over this. I'm kind of over this, this version. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of over it. Like it just, it's very, I'm trying to think of the, the, the most polite way to say that it kind of, it loses a lot of track. It loses a lot of steam. It it struggles a lot for me. I'm not not big on it. I don't care that much for it. Um, I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of the presentation of a lot of what they did. Yeah, I, I think so. Matter. Again, at this point, the MCU is up and rolling. Uh, at this point, we've had Avengers and, and the whole Marvel cinematic universe experiment has been proven to be a success. And, and we're, we're, we're winding down phase one, winding up phase two at this point, if my timeline memory serves correct. So Sony wants to get in on that game too. And they want, and, and honestly, I can't fault them for this. They're looking at Spider-Man as the character because at this point, Sony, and to, to this day, Sony still owns Lock, Stock, and Barrel, 
the film rights to Spider-Man and all related characters. If it if it's a character who debuted in a Spider-Man comic, it's Sony's, yeah. not Marvel's. Marvel wants to use it. They have to go through Sony. That is that that has been in place since the late 90s. That has never gone away. We'll get into that later. But if you're Sony and you see the success Marvel's having with their universe and you look at Spider-Man and all the characters we own because of Spider-Man, there's potential there to launch a franchise just as big as the MCU through our Spider-Man characters. So I can get the idea of our version of Avengers with Spider-Man is Sinister Six. Yep. Let's start building the Sinister Six. And then Amazing Spider-Man 4 or 5 or whatever will get to finally the entire Sinister Six is assembled to take out Spider-Man. That's not a bad idea. No. On paper. Um the problem is, uh, as we'll see with uh, Warner Brothers not too long after this, is they have zero patience. They yeah. want it all done now. So this movie crams in Electro. It crams in the Rhino. It crams in um, Green Goblin. All in one movie. And other than Electro, no one gets really more than about 10 to 15 minutes of screen time. Uh, Rhino was there to bookend it. Uh, I think Rhino has a total, which is Paul Giamatti is Rhino, which is interesting casting, but yeah. I think he's in the movie for a grand total of five minutes. It's not much. Yeah. Uh, not to mention uh wink, nudge, nudge to the camera. Uh, uh, I, I won't even call them Easter eggs because they draw attention to themselves, but cameo uh, appearances of vulture wings and doc Ock arms in the Oscorp basement lab. Uh, character who may or may not be chameleon uh, or the jackal. Uh, this movie just could not wait. It just wanted to launch everything now. Not to mention we're following through on the weird subplot we decided to put in these movies about Peter's father and a secret lab in the subway. And uh, then there's the actual story that's kind of interesting, which is Peter and Gwen are graduating and they're going off to different schools, which is a very Spider-Man problem to deal with. Yes, uh, and I, I like that storyline, uh, but it gets lost in the shuffle of everything else I just named. Yeah, and and the problem is, yeah, th th there's there's fifty thousand things going on, and there's a finite amount of screen time, and so you get a lot of stuff, but nothing really feels like w when 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 the movie's over, nothing feels like complete or done or that it had a beginning, middle and end because even, yeah. even with Electro getting the most time and they kind of try and give him this backstory and trying to give him this, this, you know, justifiable reason for being, because that's the thing about all like the, the hallmark bad guys, the, the upper echelon of the bad guys is they all have some reason why they believe they're right. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, they believe they are completely justified in taking out their anger, aggression, revenge, whatever, on the world because they have been done wrong a certain way. Life has treated them unfairly, and instead of being like the rest of us who have been in that scenario and you process it and you deal with it and you move forward, they decide to get even and in a spectacular way. So, mm -hmm. you know, he gets kind of a story where that happens, but it's not, it, it's very one-dimensional and it's very like you don't, find yourself being at least like a little sympathetic where you can say 
I don't agree with what he's doing, but I can see why he feels that way. You're just kind of yes. like, he's being a bitch. Yeah. And Magneto is like the gold standard of that is like, I don't, yeah. un, I don't agree with what he's doing, but I understand where he's coming from. Right. And so like, you know, you don't get that at the end where, you know, when there's, there is the big showdown, you're like, yeah, I want to see Spider-Man kick his ass because this guy's being a bitch. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like it's like I, I don't even want this part where you're like yeah i can get that because i've felt like that before like i've felt like you know i had a really crappy day at work and my boss yelled at me and or i got fired or whatever and like i've wanted to do this and so i can kind of see why he's doing this instead you're just like will he just punch him in the face and shut him up because i'm not <laughs> yes and like that's not how you build what is supposed to be a for lack of a better term a tentpole villain of your major overarching yeah. story. And, and it's like, so bizarre because uh, Jamie Foxx is such a great charismatic actor, yes, but he is yes. playing such a weird out of his wheelhouse character and it does not work. No, it, he's, it, he's that, playing the stereotype of what Peter was in the sixties in 2014. And it's just no. Right. And like, yeah, you look at someone like Jamie Foxx and I mean this as a compliment in the best possible way. There is absolutely no way that I can look at Jamie Foxx and be like, yeah, he's a dork. Nope. But they tried like, like they, they tried sure did force him to do that. And you're like, I like you can look at him and be like, he feels uncomfortable trying to be this way mm-hmm. because it's so anti who he is because you yeah. look at Jamie Foxx and you're like, that's a cool guy. Like some people you just look at and you, you, you see them and you're like, that's a cool guy. Jamie Foxx is a cool guy him trying he to use his charisma and he can't turn yeah. it off yeah no and it's it's like it's not his fault like and I'm no not i wish i could say that about myself i'm jealous of him <laughs> like, he's like, an amazing yeah he uses charisma yeah like it, it's not it's, i i mean that is not an insult i mean that is like he's a damn cool guy and you're trying to force him to be this this dorky guy yeah it, it's not it doesn't the work. minute it doesn't the play. minute you cast him in this role you should have rewritten the role for jamie fox which we'll get to a couple movies down the road but yes um so yeah this movie a lot of people had kind of the same response we did if, of you guys try to do way too much way too soon and this movie falls apart it tackles the death of gwen stacy with the green goblin Dane DeHaan plays uh, Harry Osborn, and I think he has two or three scenes before he shows up as the Green Goblin for the first time in this Spider-Man continuity. So in a moment from the comics, which is akin to like Joker killing Robin to Batman, it's like it's Spidey's greatest villain killing the love of his life. Yeah. We just met this guy 45 minutes ago, and now he's Green Goblin already, and now he's going to kill Gwen Stacy already. That sums up this whole movie. We had no patience. Uh, uh, it, it, it makes the Ultimate Spider-Man comics look saintly in their patience. Uh, and and that's, that series burned through storylines as far as they could, or as fast as they could. And just, it, yeah, there's, there's, this movie has no patience. It has no chill. It, it wants everything, and it wants it now. And nothing feels earned, and nothing really feels like it pays off. Um, this movie got a 51% critic rating. 64% audience. So they're a little nicer. We're still doing better than Spider-Man 3. Interestingly enough, it's almost the exact same score as Spider-Man 3, but flipped for critics and audience. Um audiences were harsher on Spider-Man 3 than critics and they were easier on Amazing Spider-Man 2. But needless to say, we're kind of right back in that same position of this did not go so well. 
and our, mm-hmm. our plans to build out a universe uh, we tried to run before we could crawl. So in a move that still boggles my mind, because I would have bet the farm this would never happen. And it's caused so much confusion in the audiences ever since. At this point, Sony was basically, you know what? We can't beat them. Let's join them. Yep. And we get what I call the joint custody agreement (laughs) between uh, Marvel Studios and Sony Pictures, in which essentially Sony hires Marvel Studios as a hired gun to produce a Spider-Man movie set within the hugely successful Marvel Cinematic Universe for Sony. Yep. So, yes, the Tom Holland movies are in the MCU, but they are still owned by Sony, and Sony still gets all the box office money. Uh, Marvel gets the uh, big chunk of the merchandise, which is why Spidey changes costumes like three times every movie. That's how you can uh, tell. Sell those action figures, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, again, never thought this would happen, but it did, and it produced 2017's Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, our first, not first time seeing Spidey in the MCU because he actually debuted in Captain America: Civil War, but that isn't a full-on Spidey movie, so we're not going to talk about that. Um, so we're jumping to 2017's Spider-Man: Homecoming. Your thoughts, Chris? First of all, I want to give them credit for um, uh, highlighting one of my favorite unsung heroes in the entire Marvel Universe, Damage Control. Yes. Where, you know, I've always, like for years, for years, especially after the first Avengers movie, my joke was, and and also um, the uh, Man of Steel was when I really started to be like, you know what? There needs to be an entire movie that is literally just the crew that comes into the city after one of these big fights to clean up. And, you know, there's there's politicians that run on, well, we got to tax superhero, like we got to figure out how to, a way to, to pay for it because the taxpayers are paying for the cleanup every time there's a big battle and there's this big discussion about is... The, is the financial price of having a superhero in your city worth the protection and defense that they give because, you know, they, they blow up a lot of stuff. And so, you know, we open with literally the, the cleanup in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and um, bringing in Michael Keaton. Yep. One of the greatest things, because of oh course my God, it, yes. it's, it's Michael Keaton, so you can't go wrong. Um, but part of that crew, you know, is is a great little touch that that I appreciated because yeah, for over a decade I had been like, why don't we ever see the people cleaning it up bitching about how like they hate the superheroes? It's kind of like a love hate because they're like, because of them I have a job, but look at how much damage they do, and they see kind of yeah. firsthand. They don't see the the higher level where it's like, okay, we're safe and we're all still alive because they're like, look at this. This is perfectly good, whatever, and it's damaged. It's broken beyond repair because these heroes don't care about the people 
in that sense. And so great touch. I have to, I have yeah. to spotlight that first, but Tom Holland, you know, going into this, um, I was originally confused because I'm like, why is the director of Fright Night Spider-Man? Um, <laughs> deep cut for a lot of people. That's okay. Um, that confused me until I was like, oh, so he's a, he's a British kid. Okay, got it. Um, Never mind. My bad. Yeah, I'm back on board. I was like, well, he seems way too young to have directed that movie in the 80s. <laughs> this, makes, this makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, Toby Maguire was my favorite Peter Parker. Uh, Andrew Garfield was my favorite Spider-Man. Tom Holland is literally the best choice for both. Like he's he the plays, best of both worlds. Yeah. He, he plays a great kind of in the middle angsty, you know, they don't go full bore into, you know, sweater vest glasses, like whatever nerd, but he is definitely an outcast. Mm-hmm. Um, because he is, he is what we, you know, nowadays in, in 20, you know, 16, 17, 18 consider to be, you know, the, the evolving definition of nerd loser outcast. Like he's, he's super passionate about non-mainstream stuff and that kind of gets him labeled as, as mm-hmm. a weirdo. But even within an entire academy of math and science nerds, right. he's still the outcast in the group, which is I love the way they change Flash Thompson because Flash Thompson in the comics and in previous movies is the stereotypical jock who picks on the nerd. In this movie, he's still picking on Peter, but they completely rewrote the character to be he, he's also a math and science nerd who's picking on Peter for not being nerdy enough. Right. I love it. <laughs> And and it's like it it was just like they they approached that universe in a very you know late twenty tens way that that didn't feel forced weird or awkward. They updated a lot of stuff very much to it, it very much feels like the film version of the Ultimates hmm. comics like 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 the comic universe. Yes, yes, it feels very much like like Ultimate Spider Man. Like the Ultimate Spider-Man take, which is one of my favorite Spider-Man universes. Ultimate Spider-Man is just there's a lot of stuff they get wrong, but there's so much they get right, and it's so good. And so you have that, um, you know, um, you you have the Spider-Man is trying to like he he's he's involved with this girl that ends up being the daughter of the the bad guy and they both kind of realize it at the same time this is a perfect and spider-man trope it, it it's it's so great like that moment in the car where you have like it, it's visually interesting because they yes. use you know like he has the the rear view mirror like the where where he looks and like you the just traffic light reflecting on him oh, yeah so good and and it's like you have so many like it, it's just production quality. It's just, it's, it's smart and it's, it's beautiful looking and the costumes are great. And, you know, even the take on the vulture, like it's great. Yeah. It's one of those, I was, I was telling a friend when it came out, like I should hate vulture because they changed everything about the vulture, but everything they changed works beautifully. Yeah. Uh, Cause Adrian Toomes is, is traditionally that, 
super old bald guy who runs a corporation and invents a technology and by, you know, very tro- you know, typical Spider-Man villain, uh, you know, the lab accident gone wrong storyline yet again. And they completely reinvented the character for this movie. And not only does it work, it works beautifully. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the casting of Michael Keaton is a big part of that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's visually interesting. Uh, the vulture suit looks like it's it's because again we're in we're in a world where the Avengers exist now. Uh, Spider Man yeah. is not the only superhero in his world. He now exists within a world of other of of gods and monsters and super technology and all that. So some of the doofier uh, uh, Spider Man elements don't feel as out of place now. Uh, and, and my one of the biggest strengths and one of my biggest complaints about this film is that this movie was very much, hey, it's Spidey in the MCU, and we want to make sure everyone recognizes this is Spidey in the MCU, to the point where you get a lot of MCU, and, and in my opinion, not enough Spider-Man. You've got the entire Stark suit, which I, I, I was on the fence of when we saw the movie, and the more I watch it, the more I hate that Stark suit. Because what it does is it turns Spider-Man into Tony Stark Jr. That's a very fair criticism. And I appreciate and we'll get to at the end. Mm -hmm. um, Because they do later on, they address that. Yes, yes. It's like the best Uh, possible way. I I completely agree with you. It was was my biggest issue with the movie then. uh, and, and, And I'll give them credit. They do. They're smart enough to take it away from him before we go into Act Three. So Spider-Man has to stand on his own. But I feel like, and 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 part of me gets it. Is we, I understand. Within this Spider-Man universe, uh, we we you know this is the first time we've seen Spider-Man. But for audiences, we've already seen five Spider-Man movies prior to this. So they were trying to hype up what's new and different about this version of Spidey, which is the MCU connection because they wanted to make it new and different and fresh. But I feel like they overcorrected and they they took away what makes Spider-Man cool uh, to replace it with, hey, look, Star Trek, isn't it? Star Trek's cool. You guys like Star Trek. Uh, But yes, we do. We we will address that in later movies. But other than those gripes, um, it's a pretty damn good Spider-Man movie. Can I tell you my favorite part about it? The one thing that is like the best thing I can say about it? Please do. It is not a retelling of the origin story. They were, they, look, they learned their lesson with Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. Because uh, that would, th- this is the sixth Spider-Man movie in 15 years. They were yeah. not dumb enough to rehash the entire origin again. Can I can I make a side bet? And this has never come out publicly, but okay. I feel like there was probably a meeting, uh-huh. and someone from Sony was like, "All right, so who are we going to have be Uncle Ben? Who are we going to like to do this thing? And we're going to have who are we going to cast as you know Bone Saw?" And someone from Marvel was <laughs> like, "Fuck that! Like we are not doing that! Like absolutely not! Like we are going on that this is established like." people because here's the thing there are a couple of superheroes Mm -hmm. there are there are a very very few handful that their origin a vast majority of civilization knows superman batman yeah and batman Mm spider-man 
I feel comfortable saying those are the big three that you you can make you you can reboot restart a a comic series a movie series a tv show a whatever something involving them and you never have to retell their origin story and people will know what's going on yeah and that's and that's, that's like you can't say that about hardly any other superhero that is one downside to the success of the original Spider-Man and Iron Man, which is they hit the ground with origin stories. How did this person become this hero? However, in the comic book world, you don't always get the character's origin in issue number one. In right. fact, rarely these days do you get a new character origin in their first issue or their first appearance. That's not a thing comic books are really concerned with so much. We're not concerned so much with telling the audience how this person got to where they are. We're more interested in telling them a cool story with this character and setting right. a tone of what that character is. And we'll get around to filling in the backstory later. Uh, yeah. That is kind of a, and, and, and by the time you get to Spider-Man Homecoming, we've had how many Marvel superhero movies where every first movie is their origin and like origin wow. stories were getting done to death. Like we get it. Yeah. Get it. So they very, that being said, I do want to be in on the meeting where they discussed who do we cast as bone saw in 2017. Yeah. I want to be in on that. meeting. All right. So here are, here are some washed up wrestlers that we could probably get to be bone saw. And like the person from Marvel, I just imagine them just sitting there with a blank look on their face. And then at the end, they're like, yeah, we're not doing that shit. Like, like people know it. Like we're not like macho man, Randy Savage, rest his soul. He is dead. We can't bring him back. He is the only person that I would say is bone saw. And you know, like we're not doing this again. Like we're not. Doing yeah. This. So that, that, it's, that's it's that Billy. <laughs> The yeah. Billy Madison, everything you said is wrong, and the entire yes. audience is now dumber for having listened to you. <laughs> yeah, like we're not, we're not retrain because that was the biggest complaint going into um, Amazing Spider-Man was like we have to mm -hmm. see another origin story, mm -hmm. and that was the big worry was when we got to Homecoming, people are like, here comes another the third Spider-Man origin story in however many years, and it's like we get to it, and it's it's like it it starts and it's like right in, you know we're right in the middle of an adventure we're right in the middle of you know peter parker's life and it's like no like we've established the fact that he's already mm -hmm. doing what he's doing we're not backtracking yeah in, in one conversation with tony stark in uh civil war he walks you through what you need to know about the origin yeah. and i still don't think we've in within the trilogy i don't think we've ever seen depicted the being bit by a spider and all that kind of stuff it's talked about but we've, we've we never really see it and, and part of that is like audiences don't care we just want to get on to telling cool spider-man stories show um, me him punching yeah. somebody please uh so things are back on track this movie had a 175 million dollar budget which for a, a marvel movie is a little on the higher end uh, especially for those days but not outrageous like 150 was about average at that point uh 880 million dollar box office take um we are back on top baby 92 percent critic score 87 percent audience score uh whatever whatever mud we had to kick off the tires after amazing spider-man 2 it is kicked off we are hitting the ground running and sony is not resting on any laurels sony is hedging their bets on the spider-man uh, uh franchise gravy train because a year later we don't even wait 
for the MCU or or all that stuff to come out, we get one of the most interesting Spider-Man movies ever made. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in 2018, a completely animated Spider-Man feature film release, uh, completely made in-house by Sony from the same guys who did the Lego movie, uh, featuring a, I wouldn't even say all-star voice cast, um, uh, Shamik uh, Moore, who I'd never heard of before this project, playing Miles Morales, Spider-Man, uh, Jake Johnson, best known from uh, the sitcom he's on that I can't think of, The New Girl, um, Haley Steinfeld, who is kind of famous now, but wasn't that, was best known for like the uh, um, acapella girl movie that I can't think of the name of. Pitch Perfect? There we go. That's um cool. Yeah, sorry. Um, Nicholas Cage was it was maybe the biggest name in this movie, and he's a minor supporting character, or or Chris Pine, who has a almost uncredited cameo. Um, and this was truly Sony and, and and some filmmakers embracing the weirdness of comic book movies or of comic book characters in general, and giving us something completely different from what we'd seen before from any Spider-Man movie. Um, your thoughts on this film, sir? Uh, it is. Um, here's the best way I can describe okay. it. Uh, um, outstandingly creative, crazy awesome CGI looks, especially at the time, and still right now, like like not much that I had seen up until that point. Yes, um, and the only like. <sighs> The only criticism that I've got is if you are not very familiar with Spider-Man and a lot of the Spider-Man, it can be overwhelming mm-hmm. because there's a lot going on. It's pretty. It It's great, great pacing, great look to it. It's fun. It's got a great soundtrack. It's, it's just a like fun is the best word that I can use to describe it. But like, I know it's not for everybody. And I know that there are certain people that if I'm like, even if you like superhero movies, even if you like comic book movies, even if you enjoy Spider-Man, you might not like it because you're going to be overwhelmed by like, I don't even know what's going on. I don't know who half these people are. Most of these people, I don't know anything about it. And it might be not hard to follow, but hard to stay engaged with. But as someone with ADHD, <laughs> I love it because I it, never get bored. Yeah, it uh, is it's very much a uh, what I like to call uh, an MTV style presentation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's just like boom, 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 boom. Like we're going to hit the ground running and not let up. Yeah. Y- you know, when I say I love Terminator 2 up until the point where they're driving in the car after they break, um, after they break <laughs> the mom out. I'm yes. like, I love that movie up until it slows down. Mm-hmm. There is no point in that movie where they slow down. Oh. And, and so, like, it's great. It's awesome. It never lets off the gas. It's fun. It's visually interesting. And it, at its core, Spider-Man is a unique property because it has this youthful childlike fun at the mm-hmm. core and there's a lot even though you know there, there's the running joke that you can't be a superhero until you're an orphan 
Uh, <laughs> and and Spider-Man falls into that too. Like there's a lot of tragedy and darkness involved in Spider-Man, but it's buried underneath a lot, like a very, like Batman. By the time we get to Batman, he's an adult and he's mm-hmm. looking at everything through adult lenses. Superman, adult lenses. All of these superheroes have adult lenses and you're looking at it through an adult perspective spider-man and especially this with miles morales you're looking at it through a teenage youthful perspective and it changes the tone it changes the approach it changes the feel and the look of how everything is presented because everything is presented through a youthful teenage vision and this absolutely that to the core I think, and I think you'll agree with me here, because uh, I'm also a huge fan of the Ultimate Spider-Man comics uh, because of you, because in college you handed me one and said, hey, read this. Read it. Um, read thank it, you for that, by the way. Uh, but that's where Miles Morales came from. Yeah, Ultimate Fallout number one, when Peter Parker in that universe is killed and this new kid steps up to be Spider-Man. Uh, and that's, at its core, what uh into the spider-verse is is it's the origin of miles or a version of the origin of miles morales becoming the new spider-man um definitely not the default origin because there's a lot of you know multiverse uh uh, tom foolery going on here but just like to the ultimate comics when miles morales was a much needed breath of fresh air and a a reintroduction to what the entire purpose of the ultimate line of comics was supposed to be, which is if we reinvented these characters now, what would they look like? If you reinvented, I think there's a quote from, I think, Brian Michael Bendis, when he's like, okay, so Spider-Man is a down-on-his-luck, smart kid from Queens. What does that look like in the 2000s versus 1967 when we created Spider-Man in the first place? He looks like Miles Morales. And that give them carte blanche to basically reinvent Spider-Man. New person, new supporting cast, new suit, some new powers to play with. But at his heart, Miles and Peter are the same kind of guy. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what's important is, is they're guys who are, they're not the smartest. They're not the best, uh, most athletic. They're, they're, they're not complete social outcasts, but they don't quite really fit in anywhere. And with Miles, that's especially true because he has a uh, multi, uh, uh, um, multi-ethnicity background um so and then you know in, in this movie he's 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 taken out of his public school and, and sent to the super smart kid academy so he doesn't really feel like he fits in there either um so he's got that whole social outcasting which is also kind of like a, a tenant of being spider-man um but this film focusing on miles and it does include multiple versions of peter parker and peter parker uh <laughs> yeah uh, and it and it definitely cashes in on the like you just said like the everyone knows spider-man's origin everyone knows that so let's tell a different version of spider-man's world let's tell the origin of a different spider-man like you start out with uh chris pine as peter parker telling his okay let's do this one more time from the top and he runs through his origin and it makes fun of like goofy things from from previous spider-man movies like the, the dancing yeah we don't talk about that yeah. um and 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 then it gets into like it, again, this the, the idea of focusing this movie on Miles and and bringing in um, the Spider Woman Gwen Stacy as a major supporting character was genius, and then bringing in Peter B. Parker, who's yeah. the like 
what we would have gotten to if we'd have gotten Spider-Man four and five from like Sam Raimi of like, he's a little pudgy and his relationship kind of fell apart because of, you know, the secrecy of the superhero and it's kind of down on his luck. And, and uh, like, it's, it's perfect. Um, but it, it's a, if you're, if you love Spider-Man, if you're a fan of the franchise, this is a movie that feels different and unique, but like you've said, doesn't lose the heart of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. And it's, it's, so well done yeah and you know Uh, when you get to that point at the end of ultimate spider-man and they introduce miles morales i this might be this might be a controversial statement okay i'm preparing to boo you (laughs) miles morales the way that they did it should not have worked in my opinion the way like the, miles morales as as a character the way that they introduced him in ultimate spider-man mm-hmm. should not have been a success to the level that he is now in my opinion um you had a wildly successful retelling of the spider-man story to a basically a new generation in a different way where they updated a lot of stuff in the 2000s and mm-hmm. then you know you had a creative team that was kind of burned out that was kind of ready to go on to other projects so you you make the controversial stance and and decision that you're going to kill Peter Parker and but you're not going to end ultimate comics presents spider-man and so then you you kill him and then you introduce a new character that is that 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 has similar powers but you don't really explain how he got them and it kind of feels like you're just like well here's a new guy and he's basically the same thing but he's a new guy and he's a minority so here you go and it, it it felt really cheap at the time and then they were like but wait and then as they go and you you start giving them more and more and more and then you're like okay it's not a just a cheap tactic and at some point they bring back peter parker for a whole weird story it just it gets real messy and then you know here we are but you know they for what started as look we just kind of need a new spider comic Mm -hmm. now miles morales stands on his own and is a different character that's not just minority spider-man yeah which is kind of what it felt like when they when they introduced him which is unfair which is which is an unfair framing knowing now but at the time when i was like I, I stayed with Ultimate Spider-Man, which became Ultimate Comics Present Spider-Man or whatever the shit they started. Oh, it changed titles it. like eighteen times. Yeah. Yeah, and and they they had like five number ones in the middle of the one hundred sixty yep. issue run. Um, yep. If you ever, if you ever want to have a completely heartbreaking thing, um, comic story, read the death of Ultimate Spider-Man. It is tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the saddest and best written death stories 
I've ever seen comics or not. Um, and then they just kind of start after uh, ultimate fallout. They just kind of introduce him and he's just like, I don't know how I got these powers, but I have them. And I'm like Spider-Man. And it's like when Spider-Man died, I'm just, I'm the new Spider-Man. And you're like, this feels bullshit. Well, even within the comic itself, there were people who were. He's like, "I'm a Spider-Man." Like, no, you're not. Who are you? Yeah. Like that. They, they they weren't blind to that, but yeah, you know, it was, it was a hard sell, and and, and you had to give because this was also around the same time we got like, um, Sam Wilson taking over as Captain America, and uh, who was eventually revealed to be Jane Foster taking over as Thor, and there was a lot of shakeups in Marvel, and people were like, "What are you guys doing?" Why do yeah. you keep changing all of your like flagship characters? What are you doing? So it, it, it was kind of mired up in that, and 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 with all those with all those transitions, it was more of a, a matter of just just give them some time. Like they yeah. they have an idea, just let them play out. And you know, it's good that it got it got the time to play out, and they got enough mm-hmm. support early on to see that play out Thankfully, because. Yeah. Yeah, we get stuff like Into the Spider-Verse. We get stuff where, you know, Miles Morales, the the, the PlayStation games, mm-hmm. uh, where you get the Miles Morales, the PlayStation, where it's like, you know, now it's not just, you know, it, 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 it he's not just a... Um, you Replacement. Know, Right. It's it's not just a, well, we needed something new and it's a minority character. You know, he's he's checking a box. Like... The furthest thing you can say about Miles Morales right now is he's checking a box, yeah. which is the best compliment that I can give because that's kind of how it seemed to start. But now here we are, and it's like that universe is friggin' awesome. Well, I'll say this, and I think this is all you need to know about the introduction of, of the character of Miles Morales. So he's he, he in Ultimate Comics, Peter Parker got killed. He got brought in. So no matter how you want to chalk it up, yeah, he was a replacement for Peter Parker. However, however many years later, and however many title changes later, when Marvel decided to uh, to forgive my bad pun, ultimately end the Ultimate Universe, uh-huh. the only character who made the transition from being in the Ultimate Comics Universe to the main Marvel Six One Six Universe was Miles Morales. Yeah. He is the only character until there's a storyline coming out like next month, which is going to mess with what I'm saying. But for, as of the time of this recording, <laughs> the only character to come from the Ultimate Comics universe into the mainline Marvel universe is Miles Morales. Yeah. So uh, this movie also has a benchmark for the Spider-Man movie franchise. It won the 2019 Academy Award for Best Animated feature and uh, so i believe it's the first spider-man film to win an academy award there may be some technical achievement stuff i forgot for previous movies but uh controversial uh it's the first one to win an oscar that counts Ooh. oh Ooh. if it even won i don't know and i'm not gonna bother <laughs> to check but uh yeah um 97% critic score, 94% audience score, uh $384 million box office take, which yes, is significantly less than Spider-Man Homecoming, but this one only costs 90 million to make. So right, right. yeah. There, there's there's we made money and there's we're profitable. Those are two different numbers. Yeah. Um, 
But again, uh, Sony, uh, not th- th- this was them hedging their bets on on making Spider-Man work, and they 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 did uh, they knocked it out of the park. Um, so we'll we'll speed through the rest of these real quick. Um, so the very next year after that, 2019, we got Spider-Man: Far From Home, uh, my least favorite of the Marvel Spider-Man trilogy, because we take Spider-Man completely out of New York for 90 percent of the movie. Um, However, I am the minority on this because it has a 90% critic score and a 95% audience score. Some people seem to like it. Uh, It's also the first Spider-Man movie to cross the $1 billion mark. Billion with a B. $1.13 billion. Love it. Um, I really do enjoy it. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal does a fantastic job. Um, The visual effects of Mysterio do not disappoint. Um, It's a huge undertaking to say, we're going to put Mysterio in a, in a live action movie because if you know that character, holy balls, like you are taking on a lot with that. Talk about steering into the skid and embracing the zaniness. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, because we had the disappointment of, was Bruce Campbell going to be Mysterio in the original trilogy? You know, that rumor was thrown around a lot and um, we finally get to see the actual like real life depiction of Mysterio's powers. Um, it, I, I, I did, I did really like it. Um, I, I the Mysterio have, heel turn is fantastic, especially yeah. for a younger audience who doesn't know what's coming. Right. Like we as as adults, as people who know the characters, we see it coming like we know what's coming. I also really appreciate you use the term heel turn. Um, that was not lost on me. Um, <laughs> like, we all see it coming where we're like, yeah, he's he's going to end up being the bad guy. Like we know this. Um we but he gets a story where like we kind of like i get why he's doing what he's doing Mm -hmm. i don't agree with it but i'm like yeah he sees uh all these heroes getting all this recognition and admiration and stuff and he can make himself be a hero and like who wouldn't want that and you know like there's an element of that to it that i'm like i really understand that um Mm -hmm. But also, there's more because he's a little crazy, um, which mm-hmm. makes him a good bad guy. Um, yep. But like the um, the one thing that I can say is uh, the end of that movie is one of the best cliffhangers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so I give him credit for being like, he, and I say this. He, good. But we're going to laugh about it because when you watch it, you're like, well, where do they go from that? You can't undo that. Mm, well, but at the time, that's what I felt. Yeah, no, yeah, no. It's it's uh, yeah. The, the 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 cliffhanger of him him outing Spider Man as being Peter Parker, and and the glorious return of J.K. Simmons as J. Yes. Jonah Jameson. Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, that was fantastic. Uh, I, I don't I don't hate this movie. It's just it's it's my least favorite of these three. Um, the Mysterio stuff is great, and then the, the the scenes, especially the action scene. There's two scenes where he's he's kind of fighting Mysterio, and we get all trippy with the imagery, very Mysterio esque. That stuff is great. Um, I just thought there's a lot of again, hey, it's the MCU. We have to throw in Nick Fury and this, that, and the other to make sure people know this is the MCU. 
um, that kind of you know wore on me a little thin in this movie. But it does give uh, something you brought up earlier. It does give you some some little bit. Of, I think it's this movie uh, where he's making his his new suit in the back of the, the the Tony Stark jet, and he gets the the speech from Happy about stop trying to be Tony. Tony couldn't be Tony. Just be yourself. Yep, I think it's this movie that does that. Um, which might have a little more impact if he wasn't using Tony's tech to make yet another Tony Stark Spider-Man suit. But still, I appreciate the sentiment, <laughs> and I get it. We got to have the suit changes because we got to sell toys. Yeah, it's all about the merchandise. Mm-hmm. It does give us the rise of what's the uh, Spider Monkey? Is that the name yeah. of the the stealth yeah. suit character? Night Monkey. That's fun. Night Monkey. Yeah. There it was. Night yes. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Love me some Night Monkey. Which, to be fair, like I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed with the cosplay community because I've never seen a Night Monkey cosplay. Yeah, yeah. St- I, I see lots of human spider from the 2002 Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Where's the Night Monkey? Come on, guys. Yeah, get on that, everybody. Get your shit together. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, let's get to uh, if, if, if Homecoming and Far From Home were appetizers, the main course. That is 2021's Spider-Man No Way Home. <clears throat> wow. I don't know what else to say about this movie. I didn't think they could do this. I didn't think they'd pull it off. I didn't believe half the rumors and hype I'd heard about this movie. But to borrow a line from Han Solo, it's real. It's all real. Yeah. Or true. It's all true. It's all um, true. If if Into the Spider Verse broke the concept of there being a specific Spider Man multiverse, uh, this movie is the like nerd's wet dream of what we could do with that idea in live action. Uh, I think beautifully realized on screen. Uh, this is the the Oops All Spidey edition of the Spider Man <laughs> franchise. Uh, uh, we, yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. Like you said, so we end the last one with the cliffhanger of Spider-Man's being outed, and oh my god, the whole world knows who he is, and we get some time to deal with the fallout of that. We get the cool Matt Murdock as your lawyer. Uh, 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 very, very chef's kiss MCU cameo. If you have to hire a lawyer in the MCU, and it's not Matt Murdock uh, or or uh, She-Hulk, then you've done something wrong <laughs> with your Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but uh, so, again, it it, it this Spider-Man exists in a world with lots of other superheroes, with magicians and and super science and and gods and all that stuff. And this movie cashes in on that of like, well, this Spider-Man doesn't have to solve this problem in a way that someone in the real world would because he doesn't live in the real world. So he calls up his good buddy, Doctor Strange. He was like, hey, you're a wizard. You're the Sorcerer Supreme, right? Can't you whip me up a spell to just fix all this shit? Uh, and, and, you know, normally the easy, again, a very Spider-Man story, the easy way out is never going to work for Peter Parker. Nope. Uh, and boy, does it not work for Peter Parker in this movie. Uh, but it works for the audience because it gives us a chance to not only see all three cinematic live action Spider-Man together. We get, uh, Tobey Maguire back. We get Andrew Garfield back. Uh, we get the interplay of three different versions of Peter all working together on a problem, but we get the return, and in some cases, the redemption of some past Marvel or uh, Spider-Man villains. And I don't just mean redemption like their character arc. I mean, like, we give some actors another chance to try this role again. 
specifically Willem Dafoe gets to come back and and really knock it out of the park with Green Goblin, uh, where we destroyed that mask pretty early on because we realized he's creepier without it. Uh, yeah. And and Jamie Foxx gets to finally properly play Electro. Yes. Yeah, uh, it stands the like, blue skin and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that garbage uh, that weighed that character down. Uh, yeah, it is literally a like it's a best of from the last you know twenty years of that franchise, and I'm telling you the only like the people like the 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 Spider-Man fans that I feel the most bad for are the people who did not get to see this movie in a full theater. Yep. Like there are, there are, I I'm very disenchanted with the theater going experience as a whole in 2020 mm-hmm. and beyond. Um, but this movie, th- there were a handful of movies that have come out in the last five years that, the movie itself is enhanced by being in a room full of people watching it for the first time. And this movie is one of them when, you know, the, the previous Peter Parker's come back and the theaters erupt. And like, there's no other feeling like it as a Spider-Man fan. Um, it is a, this movie is less a movie telling a story as it is a love letter to everybody who has supported the franchise over the last 19 years. Yep. It, it definitely takes some detours to just do like a victory lap uh, of the the franchise. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, no matter who your favorite Spider-Man was, whoever your favorite Spider-Man actor was, whoever your favorite Peter Parker actor was. Everybody gets a chance to shine. Villains get a chance to shine. The story advances, and it's more of a character study of seven different characters and how they approach the same issue. And it's interesting to watch each Peter Parker, each Spider-Man, like they have the same, There's the, they all have the same issue. They all have the same problem that they're facing and all of them approach it differently but in a very peter parker way Mm -hmm. and they all work together and it's it's such a great character study of the same character reacting to the same issue differently it also finally gives tom holland as an actor something to do yes uh we again we've been told by him in a scene about uncle ben and things like that but we've never really seen him have to deal with what i would call real tragedy before uh and this movie lays it on in spades and then brings in the other spider-man to help him through that tragedy in a way that is beautiful and 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 uh, again, cuts right to the heart. Of, yeah, we're three different people, but we're all Peter, and there are things that about Peter that's universal. 
and and it's just wonderful to see these those actors play off each other it's wonderful to see tom holland really get to flex as an actor uh sadly it comes with the loss of a really great character um but whatever it it is for me it is by far hands down no competition the best of the mcu spider-man movies because it's the only one to me that feels like a spider-man in the mcu yeah tony stark jr um And and even if you took out all the 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 great um, appearances and whatnot, it, it's Tom Holland nails this movie. And and at the end of this movie, I really feel like okay, Tom Holland Spidey is a real Spidey now. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. The last the last two scenes, uh, the the coffee shop scene. Yep. Im- immediately followed by the shithole apartment scene mm-hmm. like together those two scenes especially back to back cement the fact that tom holland is spider-man and this 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 trilogy's spider-man is spider-man not just in name only he has gone through what makes peter parker spider-man and making those decisions that like we talked about earlier where it is the people who are close to you are the people in the most danger and you put them ahead of you by making those decisions about to how close to keep them in your life for their safety and sometimes that is a very difficult choice to make yeah uh, that scene, I think it's right between the two you're talking about, where he goes to visit Aunt May's grave and Happy's yes. there. And yeah. every fiber of your being just wants Happy to give this kid a hug. Yeah. And Happy looks at, oh, how did you know May? And it's like, oh, God, yeah. that just yeah, guts me every time. It's heartbreaking. And it, but it, that it's, is, it's like, it's necessary. Yeah, that is quintessential Spider Man. I will sacrifice my own happiness and what I want because it's for the good of everyone else I love. And that's again, beautiful. Um, yeah. Last one to talk about real quick. Uh, Cause it's only been out for two weeks. We have right. the follow-up to uh, end of the spider verse, Spider-Man across the spider verse came out again, two weeks ago. Oh, let me, let me back up. Let me back up real quick. Spider-Man, no way home. Uh, 98% audience score. I believe that's the highest rated uh, audience score ever. Um, and $1.92 billion. And deserves every penny. Uh, with a reported budget of $200 million, which I don't believe that had to have cost more than that. But that's what they're yeah. reporting. There's uh, no... <laughs> it's the inverse of Amazing Spider-Man. Right. Um, so, uh, across the Spider-Verse, uh, as of right now, it is at $313 million worldwide. But again, it's only in its, I think, second week of release. Um, 96% critic score, 95% audience score. Um, I know you haven't seen it yet, so all I'm going to say about the film is if you enjoyed Into the Spider-Verse, you will love Across the Spider-Verse. It is everything you loved about the first one cranked up to 11. Uh, We visit multiple worlds of Spider-Man, and they all have their own unique animation style. Uh, it, it, It is maybe the best multiverse story anyone has done yet for superhero stuff. That's a bold um, statement, but I've seen Scarlet Spider 
involved in materials in this. He and is, in fact, in it. <laughs> so I am, I am jacked up to 11 um, because of it, the idea of Scarlet Spider. Yeah, the, the visual eye candy in this movie is top notch. The animation is just, just draw jaw on the floor the entire time. Uh, it's so expressive and artistic and amazing. And no two Spideys look quite the same because of that. That animation style is different every universe. Um, callbacks to the first movie progression of the first movie some minor characters get some more of the spotlight this time around so it's it's still about miles but he's more of like he's there too or he's one of several characters who kind of get the focus spider gwen takes some of the focus this time all 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 good things um and again seriously it 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 as far as the multiverse story goes this may be the best use of the multiverse in a superhero movie we've seen yet because it's less about hey look at who we got to make a cameo and more about what would it really be like if there were multiple versions of you out in the universe or in the existence how would that play out um and like you've said never loses what the heart of being a spider person is all about. Um, so that's a long look back at the road that got us here. We're going to talk about um, where we, what we know is coming on the horizon. Uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse is a, a two-parter. Uh, so it, spoiler does end on a cliffhanger uh, because next year, specifically March 29th of next year, uh, we will be getting Spider-Man beyond the Spider-Verse which will wrap up that trilogy. And I am assuming leave the door wide open for future stuff. Uh, there's already lots of potential spinoffs from within this, this um, sub franchise uh, in and of itself. Um, and then just a week ago, we got an update from Tom Holland on a potential fourth MCU Spidey film. Um, it is currently on hold due to the current writer's strike. Uh, but initial meetings have taken place between Marvel and Sony and the appropriate people uh, about beginning uh, developments, not pre-production, but development on another MCU set Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. Uh, there is some confusion as to what exactly Tom Holland's contract is. Um, it, it famously was about to end, and then at the 11th hour, Tom Holland, according to the story, got Marvel and Sony to, to put aside their dick measuring and sign a quick two-picture deal to finish out the um, um, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming trilogy. And I believe that contract was done when Spider-Man popped up in um, uh, uh, Avengers Endgame. So... According to one source, Tom Holland re-signed a new contract uh, with, with Marvel and Sony for three more solo Spider-Man movies and three more MCU appearances. According to Tom Holland, that's all bullshit. Uh, and essentially, according to Tom Holland, the current arrangement is basically uh, a film-by-film-as-we-go kind of agreement with Sony and Marvel. There's nothing really concrete. It's Kevin Feige and um, um, shit, Tom Rothman, I think, the head of Sony, getting together and hashing out. Okay, we'll go ahead and go with this, but you know, there, there's no long-term contract. It's kind of 
project by project, which is a little frightening. Uh, yeah, that's what, what that's what we know is coming. Thoughts on those projects? I'm just excited that we're now at a point where we've got an established several now established yeah. universes that we're not going to just abandon and start over mm-hmm. because that's been my biggest issue with everything is like you feel gun shy about really getting involved and really getting behind some of these projects because you're like how long until they just you know make a snap decision to well we're just going to burn it down and start over yeah yeah and so you know i have full faith and confidence in the the Marvel Sony crew with Tom Holland and that that group because I've enjoyed everything they've done so far every appearance that hasn't been in a Spider-Man movie every MCU appearance has been well thought out and it serves a, a specific purpose and it's not overdone and it's good. Um, all of the movies have been really good. There hasn't been, in my opinion, a stinker so far. Um, <laughs> and uh, so more of those, especially with the way that that the last one ended, I'm all for it. Give me more of them. I don't want Tom Holland to feel like, well, I'm pigeonholed into being Spider-Man forever. Mm-hmm. Um but as long as him and the rest of the people in that universe are willing to do movies, give me all of them. Yeah. Bring me, bring, start bringing me the weird stuff. Like, like not, not necessarily the weird stuff, but like start bringing me some of these stories like, um, you know, and take the ultimate spin on it where like, I love the way that the ultimate comics, uh, approached venom. Mm. Um, like give me that give me some of those where it's like take classic stories and villains and kind of spin them to update them a little bit and even if you present them a little differently i'm for it like because i have like i trust them that it's going to be good so i'm all for it 100 percent. yeah that's a perfect segue to the last bit of the topic here which is what do we as fans want to see um and and Look, there, there, there's kind of an 800-pound gorilla in the room we haven't really touched on yet, and I'm just going to briefly bring up. Um, so Sony has the rights to Spider-Man and all Spider-Man-related characters. So we have already seen what they're calling the Sony Spider-Man universe, which is Spider-Man characters in a universe where there is no Spider-Man. So Venom, Venom 2, and everyone's favorite, Morbius. Uh, we have the upcoming Craven film, which, yeah, that's a thing. It's really exists. It's really been filmed. It's coming out, I think, next year. Uh, there's a Madam Web movie they keep threatening to make. Yeah, like, don't, don't do that. Um, these are the wrong direction to go. Yes. Now, look, Venom made money, so they're going to keep making Venom, even though I can't stand those movies. Uh, that's a whole different show. Um, but this, I don't think the way going forward, Sony, is to keep making every Spider-Man villain their own attempted franchise. Oh. Some of these characters kind of work without Spidey. Some of them do not. Uh, and and I can't believe Venom made money. 
uh, but it did. Yes, um, but there's also, yeah. So what I would love to see, and then this is never going to happen. Uh, there, there was a, a hot minute where I thought maybe, but it's, it's not. But I would still, if you announce this happening, I would give you my money right now. Off of the success of No Way Home, and in particular, Andrew Garfield kind of getting some resolution on his version of Peter. I would love to see, I don't care what you call it, but an Amazing Spider-Man 3. Specifically one where we, like Michael Keaton said, get nuts and we embrace this whole Spideyverse thing. And give me a live-action Andrew Garfield Spider-Man 3, where he then meets a version of Gwen Stacy, still played by Emma Stone, who is Spider-Woman. Ooh, okay. She's lost her Peter, because that's her, her backstory. He's lost his Gwen. Yeah. Here's a Gwen that has her own Spidey powers. How does that play out? Google it in five seconds. There's already fan posters of it. Uh, oh, yeah. But... Uh, I would go see that right now. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, the, because Warner brothers can't get the DC universe to figure out what it's going to be. So they, they just decided that every movie was just going to be like, nothing was going to be interconnected unless they really wanted it to, but they had these like, well, it's going to be part of, you know, everything is by default part of the multiverse. So whatever. And like, you know, now that Marvel has like introduced and kind of leaned heavily on this concept of multiverses and crossing multiverses and like we understand that there are many different timelines going on at the same time, you know, you do have that ability to jump in between and you can give Andrew Garfield's character that closure and give him another chance at, you know, he, he very much has, um, uh, this, he's in the same situation that Brandon Routh was in my opinion, Mm -hmm. where he was a, he, he played the character very well, but he was saddled by everybody else behind the scenes, let him down. And you had, you know, the, the, the writers, the, like the, the people, the, the, the story editors, like they let him down, even though he was the best part of yeah. the, a, a really crappy movie. I'll, it's I'll like a group project way. in school. His individual score was an A plus, but the group was like a D minus. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, he unfairly gets punished and doesn't get to do that anymore because everybody else kind of failed to do what they were supposed to do. And, you know, we all love, retribution stories we love you know comebacks we love giving someone a second chance at doing something and especially if it's something that they're super passionate about and you know that is a perfect opportunity to do that even even if you had it where uh you could do and i know people would i feel like people would in, would would take this a lot better uh than they did with uh metal gear solid 2 Hmm. where all of the trailers and everything advertised you get to play a solid snake and then you ended up getting to play as somebody else for most of the game and it really pissed you off if you had a a spider-man movie that started out with 
Tom Holland and something happened to him and he got sucked through time or whatever. And so they bring in Andrew Garfield to help do whatever. And he goes on his own thing to do this as kind of a bring him back and retribution thing. I could even see something like that working. That'd be interesting. Yeah. And, and you have, because now you've opened that door literally and, and <laughs> not, and, um, so you have it where um, you can kind of toy with this idea of, you know, there isn't just one Spider-Man that you can access now. And mm-hmm. I love that concept. I love the idea. And I love not, like, just because the character and, the like, that franchise is, like, that is over but we've moved on to a different phase in this franchise. It doesn't mean that that door is closed permanently. Yeah. Or they keep talking about putting venom into connecting venom and Spider-Man. They're their Tom Hardy venom to some version of Spider-Man. They keep teasing it and, and, and kind of figuring out quite how to do it and, and not doing it. I'd be fine with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man encountering Tom Hardy's venom. I don't think it necessarily has to be Tom Holland. Um, yeah, that'd be an interesting way to play it. But yeah, that's it's uh, the franchise is in a really good spot right now. In fact, it's 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 almost an embarrassment of riches. There's so much great Spider-Man stuff currently out there and coming down the pipeline. Anything we have for suggestions is just kind of like sprinkles on top of the Sunday at this point. Uh, like everything we're getting, I think is pretty good for the most part. Uh, if it has Spider-Man in it, it's pretty good. <laughs> if it's a Spider-Man yeah. character without Spider-Man, whole different episode. Um, but so yeah, there's 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 still some gold to be mined in them there hills. And and but that being said, uh, and I never thought I'd say this, Sony's doing pretty good with Spider-Man right now. Yeah, despite themselves. Uh, yeah, they God, are. Yes. They have somehow stumbled into doing something like the animation part fantastic yeah the live action part stop (laughs) why like if it's not (laughs) spider-man quit making villain stories without Spider-Man. yeah like villains the only reason that the villains are so good and so strong is because the hero that they play against is equally as strong and if you take out the hero from that you take away a lot of the strength that is that villain. And, and you keep taking your villains and turning them into sympathetic characters or, and I yeah. fucking hate this word now, anti-heroes. Yeah, stop that. Which is, has become code for, he's a good guy, but he's a dick. That's not an anti-hero. Right. Um, he's just Because you're, you're, yeah, you're building a whole movie around them. So even if your plan is to eventually bring all, you know, Morbius and Venom and Carnage and I guess Craven uh, to make some weird... Uh, uh, Sinister Six movie and throw a Spider-Man at them. A, they're not going to know who Spider-Man is at this point, right? And B, is going to be oh, why are all those guys who were sympathetic heroes fighting Spidey? Oh, they're just I... supposed to be villains because you fucked that up too. Yeah. Like, oh, who am I supposed to root for? Uh, exactly. Yeah. No. There's there will never ever be a better representation of Craven than in the Ultimate Comics, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> the reality TV show Craven. Yeah, he is literally yes. like the crocodile hunter. Yes, on and, steroids. Yes. Yeah, and so like he undertakes the the idea that he's going to hunt Spider Man, 
and he's going to televise it. So he brings a big film crew and Spider-Man knocks him out in one punch. Yeah. And that's it. Like that's the buildup and that's it. And like, I would, I would love for that to be a side, like, cause he, that's not strong enough to be, of course, the main plot of a movie, but right. like have that be the secondary story, like the entire time, you know, he's, he's on the hunt of Spider-Man and like, so Spider-Man is trying to fight the big bad guy in the movie, but Craven keeps fucking it up for him. Like Craven keeps like catching him in a net or whatever. And Spider-Man's like, shit, dude, I'm just trying to stop this guy. You're a nuisance. <laughs> and then at the end, finally, he's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. And he just, you know, punch, one punch knocks him out and that's it. But then that later on, you know, Craven has been stewing on this and, you know, he's not letting that go because he's been embarrassed on a na on a worldwide stage mm -hmm. so that sets his like what can i do to help out these big bad guys just stop spider-man yeah. and like it, it turns him from a goofball crappy secondary character to a an actual decent threat because then you have like spider-man's actually fighting people you know with powers and whatever and then mm -hmm. boom something comes along and like ties his feet up and knocks him down that he's not expecting and that's craven who's like ah you forgot about me even though he doesn't have any powers in this version he still can be a threat and you know it's like you can take that character and do something like that is the only version of craven that i will ever entertain for the rest of my life because it's so perfect Yes. And whoever wrote that storyline in those comics, you did good. Like pat <laughs> yourself on the back one more time for me all these years later, because magnificent. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me on this extended episode <laughs> as we look through the world. Of, I should have known this is going to take way more of the time because it's us and Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, thank you for sitting down and talking Spider-Man with me today. Man, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, let us know uh, what Spider-Man projects do you want to see or what ones do you not want to see? Uh, if you could tell Sony, hey, guys, stop trying to make this a thing. It's a, stop trying to make Madam Web a thing. It's not a thing. Yeah. For the, the Ant May origin movie uh, or the Silver Sable movie. Yes, just stop. Uh, <laughs> focus on Spider-Man. What would you tell Sony uh, slash Marvel to make or not make? Let us know in the comments below. Uh, and until next time, this has been your weekly nerd alert.